please open up to Romans 7. I hope you're enjoying this God's Marvelous Plan for Man series, a verse-by-verse study through the book of Romans. I know I am enjoying going through it, and uh, I've taught Romans several times, and I think for me personally, this has been the richest of all of them going through it, simply because I'm seeing things I've never seen before, understanding things that I kind of knew, but getting a better handle on them, and I think that's what God wants for us. Choosing the right husband today. Choosing the right husband. Now, you might say, wait a minute, I thought we were doing Romans. You know, uh, why a message towards people who are single? Well, you'll get it as we go through. But let me open with a story. Several men were finishing up their round of golf and were in the locker room. A cell phone on a bench rings, and a man engages the hands-free speaker function and begins to talk. Everyone else in the room stops to listen. Man says, hello? Woman. Honey, it's me. Are you at the club? Yes. Woman. I'm at the mall now and found this beautiful leather coat. It's only $1,000. Is it okay to buy it? He says, sure, go ahead if you like it that much. Woman says, I also stopped by the Mercedes dealership and saw the new 2020 models. I saw one I really liked. Man, how much? Woman, 80000 Man, okay. But for that price, I want it with all the options. Woman, great. Oh, and one more thing. The house we wanted last year is back on the market. They're asking 975000 Man, well then, go ahead and make them an offer, but just offer 950000 Woman, okay, see you later, love you. Man, bye, love you too. Well, the man hangs up. The other men in the locker room are looking at him with astonishment. Then he asks, does anyone know who this phone belongs to? (laughs) Somebody's in a heap of trouble. As we get to Romans 7, Romans 7 is a struggle of making the truth of Romans 6 a reality in our lives. It is one thing to be saved. It is quite another to live in victory over the old nature that we have. Chapter 6 taught us that we are no longer under the bondage of our sin nature as believers. By the way, we still have it, but we're no longer under the bondage of it. Chapter 7 teaches us that we are no longer married to the law the commandments, all right? Now, how does all this go together? I want you to understand this today because today is incredibly important in light of next week as we look at the end of chapter seven, which is one of the most important portions of scripture in the New Testament for you to understand. So first today, starting in Romans 7, 1, we see the relationship of the believer to the law, all right? Now, let me begin by saying this today. There's not a thing wrong with the Ten Commandments. God gave them to us. The Ten Commandments, they manifold the nature of God, the purity, the righteousness of God. But God never intended the Ten Commandments to be a means of you getting to heaven. 
And people really misunderstand that. They think God gave us the commandments to do so that we can be saved. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that. The commandments were given, listen, you'll see it today in the text, the commandments were given to show us we're sinners in need of a savior. They show us we're dirty and that we need to be cleansed, but the law cannot cleanse us. What they do is they drive us to somebody who can cleanse us because we can't do it ourselves. And that someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's nothing wrong with the law. Now people say today, well, aren't believers today under the law as far as the way you lived your life? And the answer to that is technically no. We're not under the law, okay? We are under a law, but it's the law of love. Grace teaches us something different. Now, let me say this. If you are living according to the grace of God, according to the love of God, you will end up, according to the Bible, keeping the commandments. So it's not what we need to do. In reality, the law for us today is a, ends up being a byproduct of us walking in fellowship with Jesus Christ. Okay? And this is a fascinating study all in itself, and maybe we'll do that excuse me, in detail at a later time. But that's not the message today. It's for us to get kind of an overview. So what about our relationship to the law? We see in verses one through six. Verse one, it says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. And before I expound on this, let me say this. Galatians is very clear that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, but it says, once you've trusted Christ as your savior, you are no longer under the law. Again, doesn't mean it's bad. It doesn't mean it's bad for society. It is important for society, okay? We have to have laws. The beauty, though, of this age in which we live, though, folks, is as we walk in faith, trusting in the Lord and his word and being obedient to it, the Holy Spirit will produce in us that obedience to those principles, okay? Let me go a little further by saying this. If you can't even remember the commandments, if you walk according to the grace of God in fellowship with Jesus Christ, you will end up fulfilling the commandments, the truth of the commandments. Romans 13, Romans 14, very clear on that. The book of Galatians, very clear on that. So we're not saying let's get rid of the law. No, let us use the law in the context that God gave it to us. You understand what I'm saying? We don't believe in lawlessness, and that's been very clear as we've gone through Romans 6 but there's a place for it. So what is our relationship now as believers to the law? Well, verse one, know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man, watch this, as long as he liveth. I say, well, there you go. We're supposed to keep the commandments. Well, read on. This is what he's getting at. Notice he says, as long as he lives. See, the law has dominion over a man. God has ordained it, but this does not include once he dies. Is a dead man in submission to the law? No. Why? He's dead. It doesn't affect him any longer. Then what Paul does here is he gives an illustration further explaining the truth that we saw in chapter six. So verse one is setting up 
an illustration of what he taught us in chapter six, but it's, it's further explained. Instead of the idea of a servant to sin and now a servant to righteousness, he says, let me put this another way. There you go, okay? In chapter six, we saw the truth of the two masters. In chapter seven, we see the truth of the two husbands. Romans 7, 2. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. In other words, she doesn't have that obligation. Why? He's dead. (laughs) He's dead. So then, while her husband liveth, if she be married to another, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. In other words, if there is the death of a spouse, the survivor is free to remarry if they so choose. Now, let me just put a side note in here. I know some Christians who look down on believers who remarry, all right? While a person does not have to, it is completely acceptable, biblically speaking, to remarry after the death of a spouse. Why? Because you're no longer under obligation to your old spouse because they're dead. They've died. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you wish to, you can. Now I know there are people who say, oh no, no, no. God has only one picked out from eternity past for you. And if that person dies, that's it. There could never be another. Well, let me, let me say this. Okay, and I say this in kindness. If you choose that for yourself, there's nothing wrong with that, but you don't have biblical grounds. And don't judge somebody else who gets remarried. Okay? Very, very important that you understand that. Because we see that. We see in the New Testament in Timothy, it says the young widows. Paul says, listen, if you're a young widow, you ought to remarry again. That's what it says. You ought to remarry again. Now, that doesn't just say go out and pick somebody, okay? They need to be saved. They need to be dedicated to Jesus Christ. If they're not both of those things, don't even consider it. Don't do missionary dating. You know what that is. Well, I'll date him, and, I'll, and, and we'll get involved, and then he'll get saved down the road. You don't know that. That's not a good idea. By the way, that's also good counsel for those of you who are still single. You've never been married, but you'd like to be married, okay? Very important. Getting back to our point here, okay, verse four. So if the spouse dies, you're free to be married to another. Verse four, wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law. We're dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. In other words, when we trusted Christ, we died to the law. We were crucified with Christ, as we're going to see in a minute. The bondage has been broken, but we have a new life because we were raised with Christ, a new life, okay? We are now, because we trusted Christ the Savior, we were crucified with Christ, we were raised with new life, we now are married to Jesus Christ, spiritually speaking, He's the new husband in the relationship, all right? Now, what is all this talking about? Maybe you're here, you've never understood any of this. That's okay. Let me say this, friend. God wants you to be his child. Let's begin there. God wants you to be his child. 
And the way you become his child is not by promising to behave, okay? Or that you're gonna do better, or that you're gonna try harder, or that you're gonna live a moral life. In some way, somehow, God is gonna accept you if, if you follow the teaching of the Bible. No, 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 no. That's not how you get saved. You get saved by putting your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. He alone is the Savior. Hold your place here and look with me to John chapter 1. It says in verse 12, John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, but as many as received him, that's Jesus. Now, what do you mean by receiving him? Okay, well, the verse explains it. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, a child of God, even to them that believe on his name. That is how you receive Christ, by believing on his name. Now, what does that mean, to believe on his name? The word believe means to trust in or depend upon something or someone to be true to what they've said, all right? To believe on his name, Jesus, means God who is our Savior. God who is our Savior. Well, what does that mean? Well, that's a good question. Let me explain that to you with an illustration. If this hand, let's pretend it's you and me. Let my wallet represent sin. Here we are. We are all sinners. Everybody knows that. We've done a detailed study on that to this point in Romans. God loves us, though. He hates our sin, but he loves us. He wants us to live with him forever in heaven. God doesn't want anybody, the Bible says, to perish, to end up lost forever in hell. Yet the wages of sin is death. And if we die with our sin, that's exactly what will happen. We'll spend forever separated from God. God doesn't want that for any of us. Now, religion comes along and says, okay, well, the way you get rid of your sin is by doing good works. But that's not what the Bible says, as as we are going to see in just a moment. Well, then, if the best I can do will not get rid of my sin, heaven being a perfect place, me having to be sinless to get in, and I'm not, then therefore I'm sunk. So what am I going to do? Well, the Father sent the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of the world. And that includes you. Doesn't matter what you've done, friend, that includes you. This hand representing him, God in the flesh, sinless. Therefore qualified to be a substitute for you and me. The Bible says he died for our sins, our sins, okay? Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus Christ, the iniquity of us all. Here's what happened. Jesus came into the world, went to the cross, took your sin and mine upon himself, the sin of our whole lifetime, took them and paid for every one of them, leaving nothing to pay for. It's simple math, simple math. And he rose from the grave. If let's say in your lifetime, you committed five million sins in a lifetime, right? Jesus came, he paid for all of them. How many does that leave you to pay for? Zero. Five million minus five million equals zero. Let's say you say, man, boy, that person was really, he must be, what is he, a serial killer or whatever? Okay, well, let me say this. You'll get up there, all right? Here's the point. Let's say you say, well, not me. Boy, I'm better than that. I'm only in my lifetime 500,000. All right, 500,000 sins. They all have to be gone before you get to heaven. The good news is this. Jesus came, took all 500,000 upon himself, and he paid for them all. 
leaving you nothing to pay for. 5,000 minus 5,000 equals zero. Simple math. Doesn't matter how many you've done or what you're going to do. When Jesus went to the cross, he took care of them all. And he rose from the grave to prove it. And he says, if you will believe in him, trust in him, he will give you everlasting life. You become a child of God that very moment. Again, it's not based on works. Look at it up here, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, for by grace, God's unmerited favor and kindness, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. So your good works are of no value in getting you to heaven. None, zero, friend. That may be totally contrary to what you've always learned, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm reading you Bible verses, okay? This is not my idea. Simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ gives you everlasting life. Did you see it in John 1, 12? It doesn't say, but as many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name and get baptized and promise to turn from all their sins and reform their life and stop this and start that and do this and do that. No, good works are good to do, but they won't get you to heaven. That's what we're getting at here. This is what the Bible says. It's not of works. Now, with that in mind, you're still in Romans 7. I want you to turn one more passage, Galatians chapter 2. Now, as we turn there, let me give you just a little bonus sidebar here as you're turning to Galatians 2. Galatians is a mini Romans, okay? It's Romans boiled down, you might say, condensed. And so here we see the same truth in Romans 7, well, chapter 6 and 7, as we do in Galatians 2.20. Paul says this, he had trusted Christ as Savior, and he says this, I am crucified with Christ, dead to the law. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Before we were saved, we were married or under the dominion of the law before we were saved. The law was hard. The law was inflexible. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Okay? It was very demanding. It was literally impossible to keep the law happy, so to speak. Married to the law. Okay, honey, what do you require of me? I've got 613 things to do for you. Not just 10, by the way. And you need to keep them perfectly. And you know what? You're going to pay a price if you don't. You want to be married to that? Ladies, imagine being married to a man who when you wake up in the morning has a list of 10 pages long of what he wants you to do that day. And if you don't fulfill it, you are reprimanded and you are lectured. He has an exact menu he expects you to cook. The house has to be spotless and he also expects you to work another job outside of the home. There can be no dust anywhere in the house. He comes home, he puts on a white glove and he covers every surface in your house. And man alive, if there's any problem, you're in trouble. There can be no dust anywhere. He expects you to act perfect, look perfect, and be perfect. 
Nothing is open to negotiation or discussion. No matter how hard you try, you cannot please him. You fail every single day. How many of you agree that would become old very quickly? All right. Listen, if you choose to be married to the law, that's what you're saying. The Lord says this, I've got good news for you. As a Christian, when you trusted Christ, you died. You died. Therefore, you're not under the old husband. But you also got married at the same time to a new one. And he is loving, infinitely loving. He is kind. He is gracious. He is completely understanding. And he knows you will fail at times, but he loves you no matter what. That's the new husband. Think of the lady who despised, this is years ago, World War II time. She despised Winston Churchill. She, I mean, she hated him. She said, you know what? She, she got in his face. If you were my husband, I'd put poison in your coffee. He said, lady, if I were your husband, I'd drink it. <laughs> Back to Romans. Back to Romans chapter seven. Romans chapter seven, verse four. The point is this. Death dissolved the first marriage relationship to the law. Now we have Jesus Christ who is the perfect husband. By the way, do you notice there are no swinging singles? You don't get delivered from the law and then you just go out and live. However, not married to anybody. No, the only way you're free from that, the demands of what the law says, which is the perfect standard of God, the only way you're free from that is when you trust Christ as Savior. You die, you're crucified with Christ, but you're resurrected with a new life and a new husband who's perfect, okay? It's the only biblical way to trade in the old and and get a new one in that regard. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, okay? Jesus Christ, the perfect picture of the perfect husband, okay? And this is the pattern, guys. And ladies, you don't need to sharpen your elbows right now. This is the pattern, guys. How did Jesus love? Completely, all the time, present tense, all the time, sacrificially, okay? That is the way a husband is to love his wife. And wives are better to respond in the right way when a husband is that way. But if a husband is the drill sergeant of law, he's a legalist, he's a drill sergeant, okay? You drill sergeants, don't be surprised if you can't get along with your wife. She's only human, by the way. She's not a robot. Keep that in mind. All right, verse five. Romans seven, verse five. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, literally the emotions or the passions is what it's talking about. The passions of sin. When you're in the flesh, the passions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Verse six, but now we are delivered from the law that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. We serve a newness of spirit. We have a new life. We have a new person we're married to spiritually, okay? We have the Holy Spirit even living inside of us. There's this freedom, this freedom in Christ. It's a glorious thing, the grace of God. 
Which brings us to number two, starting in verse seven, the purpose of the law. Verses seven through 14, it says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? You know, some people talk about the law and, and the demands of it so much you start thinking that the law is a bad thing. The law is not a bad thing. There's a context for the law. But the Bible says in Timothy, the law is not for the righteous. It's for the sinner. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin. Experientially is what he's talking about. Really understood it. But by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. You see, through the law, he really was made aware of this sin. That's what verse 7 is getting at. Through the law, he was very much made aware of his sin. You do not realize how ugly your sin nature is until you try to make it behave. You don't realize how ugly your sin nature is until you try to make it behave. Here's an example. There's maybe something that really tempts you a lot, and you say, okay, I'm not going to do it. Comes to mind again. I'm not going to do it. See, by the way, sometimes that can be the fiery darts of the devil. I'm not going to do it. 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 Bam. Guess what? You do it. Why? Because you're looking at your own strength and willpower. You're trying to make your flesh behave. We need the power of God to live a self-controlled, holy life. More about that next week. These things are inseparably linked. I wish I could have gone through Romans 7 all in one message, but it wouldn't have been as complete. Okay, so we'll pick that up next week. See, we're sinners by nature. In Psalm 58.3, it says, the wicked, that's all of us, by the way, are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies, speaking lies. Those little precious newborns that you get, okay? It won't be long until that sin nature starts manifesting itself. Okay, they're little sinners. Yes, they are. They're little sinners. And they grew up to be big sinners. By the way, that's us. That's why we need God's grace and strength. Romans 7, verse 8. But sin, taking occasion... Now let's link it to verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. I understood the power of it. The ugliness of it is what he's getting at. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, which is strong evil desire. For without the law, sin was dead. In other words, without the law, sin was dead, or the word would be idle, right? It's the Greek word nikros, and it's the same one as used in James chapter 2, where it says faith without works is dead. Doesn't mean fake. Doesn't mean non-existent. It means barren or idle, okay? In other words, when God starts, you know, we know we're sinners, but when God starts hitting us with his holy righteous law, it's like, whoa, boy, I, I, I messed up there. I messed up there. Well, yeah, I have that desire. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit, quit, quit doing that, but you, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop, and then you find yourself doing it. It's like, oh, I shouldn't do that. God's word says I shouldn't do that. And, and it just all of a sudden, and boy, you're, you're, you know you're saved, but you're in a tailspin, okay? The law shows us how wicked we are, and we need the Lord. Not only as lost people, we need the Lord as Christians. 
Let me say this kind of a preview very quickly for next week. Folks, the Christian life, okay, you, you come into the Christian life by faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's how you become a Christian. Now we have a life to live. You do not live the Christian life by white-knuckling it. Okay, thanks, Jesus, for saving me. Okay, now, and so you trusted him to get you to heaven, but now you're trusting yourself to obey his word. And you have a new awareness of the holiness of God because you're a Christian and the righteousness of God because you're a Christian. And you see more than ever your shortcomings because you're sensitive to those things and you see it. And it can be frustrating, very frustrating. And Paul, by the way, knew exactly this because he's sharing with us his own experience. Verse nine. For I was alive without the law once, Okay, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. Now, what is that talking about? Well, the first part of verse 9 is how he saw himself before he compared himself with the demands of the law. It's kind of like saying, well, you know, I was okay, but then I saw what God's law said and I was sunk. That's what he's getting at. When the commandment came, it revived or activated his sin nature and he failed in that he sinned. And the more God said, stop it, the more his flesh reared up and said, no, no, I'm not gonna. Sound like you? Don't answer out loud. Don't shake your head. Verse 10, and the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't keep it. See, neither the answer nor the power to keep it were in him. That's what he's getting at. And it's the same for you and me. You know, you may be a believer and you say, well, I want to behave, but you have a hard time doing it. You know why? You're trusting in your flesh to behave. You can't live the Christian life that way. Verse 11, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore, now look at how he sees the law, and this is how we should see it. Wherefore, the law is holy, the commandment holy, it's just, it's good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding Sinful. In other words, God's commandment let me see how sinful my sin really is. And things that before I was saved were not a big deal. Once I got saved, I understand how wretched I really am. That's what he's getting at here. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual. Why is it spiritual? It comes from God. But I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, People look at verse 14. I cannot hardly believe there are Christians who think this way today. They'll look at verse 14 and say, well, see, the the Bible says the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. Paul admitted he was carnal. And they think that's an excuse to be wicked. No, he's not. He's just admitting how messed up he is. He's not saying, well, I'm carnal, and therefore at least I'm spiritual, and that I admit I'm carnal. There's a lot of people who believe that today, and I'll tell you what, I've, I've run into hundreds of them in Minnesota who believe that. I don't get it. Where'd we get those ideas? 
The word carnal means fleshly or of the flesh. This is the recognition that he is a sinner and that in his own strength he cannot live in victory. Paul, he is practically in himself a slave to sin. If he's looking at himself and if he's looking at his own power, he is a slave to sin. Okay? Galatians 2.19 says, For I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I hate to stop it here. Let me close with this. So where is this going? Kind of like a mini preview next week. What you're going to see next week as it goes on to here, by the way, his frustration with himself escalates. Escalates. Doesn't get better. He explains it further. And then he ends up saying, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? I gave you the answer ahead of time. The same one who delivered you from hell is the one who delivers you from the power of your sin nature. All right? Just as we trusted in Christ to get us to heaven, we need to trust in him to give us the victory. The victory comes from God. It doesn't come from our trying to make our old nature behave. Right? This is one of the most important, deep truths of the Christian life, and I want us all to get this and understand it. You'll see it next week, and it is a thrilling portion of Scripture. Okay? So don't read it until next week. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Do some study ahead of time, and you'll rejoice when you see it. I know Paul did. I really did. Okay? Let me also say this. There are people like John MacArthur who say, well, this is talking about when he was lost. No, it's not. This portion we're entering into now, starting in verse 14, going to the end of the chapter, listen, it's all written in the present tense. Present tense. Not past. Present. This was a reality. He understood the battle was there, which tells us what? Even if you've, listen, even if you've walked with Christ for decades, you know the battle is still real. You know your flesh is just as nasty as it was when you were lost. And you know, hopefully, we are learning, the only answer is the Lord. Yes. By the way, he always is, Right? He's always the answer. Listen, if you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, by the way, people with addictions need to hear this, what we're covering last week and this week and next week. Keys to living the Christian life. Freedom is found in what we're covering, okay? If you're here, you've never trusted Jesus Christ there to get you to heaven. You can be a child of God today. It's there for you. It's a free gift. God will give you eternal life as a gift. All you need to do is trust in Jesus Christ. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.